1: Hello, we are continuing our celebration of comedies with a look at One Day at a Time, which again, this was this is also one that this was my first time watching it. Although, really, I did try to watch this when it first came out because I kept hearing about it and how much people loved this show. But I will be honest, I couldn't watch it after a couple episodes because of the laugh track. I can't handle laugh tracks anymore. I think we've gotten spoiled by not having them. And so even though, like, I can rewatch shows that I used to watch and they have laugh tracks, if it's a new show, it turns me off. But when I rewatched it this time, Bex will be happy to know that I did end up loving this show. I did end up really, really loving this show. I cried a couple of times. I was surprised by that. I've actually told some people to watch it and that after a couple episodes, you'll be able to get over the laugh track thing because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it took. It took me a couple episodes and then I was able to get over, get beyond that. So
2: I am going to talk a little bit about that later, actually, the use of it and and why I think it works for this show, even though it's very out of fashion now. OK, so cool. Hold on for that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Awesome, something to look forward to, awesome. Okay, but before we dive into One Day at a Time, I just wanna know, so birthday girl, what are you into right now?
2: About 20 minutes ago, I finally just watched the finale of Heartstopper. I don't know if you've had people mention that recently, but um, it is a Netflix show. I think it's based off of a series of graphic novels for teens, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe not teens, I don't know. I haven't read them yet but it was so cute. It was just so wholesome and so soft. And I just loved all the little Gabies on it. Like they were so cute. <laughs> they have they have really good representation without it seeming like shoved down your throat. You know what I mean? Like they, it's just there, it just, it exists. And um, you know, bisexuality, trans representation, lesbians, gay characters, everything, I love it.
1: Yeah, Meg mentioned that last week on what would have been 911. I believe she, yeah, she's the one who said she hadn't watched it yet. She was excited to watch it because I know her kids were really into it or something. So,
2: yeah, that I know that episode just dropped when we're recording this, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. So, that's my Saturday morning podcast. <laughs> the 911 the, one. Yeah, because I joined yeah. that live stream a little bit late last time.
1: Okay, well, what what I'm into is I went and saw the Nicolas Cage movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, with Susie, actually, and also with Paula. So two of our panelists, we went and saw that. And it was so good and so funny. And Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage need to do like 100 trillion movies together. (laughs) They're so great together. And what I also loved about it is it's not – making fun of Nicolas Cage it's it's you know it's playing on the the Hollywood movie star and the film star and his reputation but it's never never feels cheap or anything like that or like it's poking fun at Nicolas Cage or anything Um, and it also kicked off something that we're gonna start playing which Susie came up with this idea and also my podcast brain twin Jen who she plays this new Thing on her podcast where they play Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage because she loves Nicolas Cage so, so much. Well, funny thing is, uh, uh, last week in his Instagram stories, Finn Wittrock happened to post that the co-writer, the co-writer of this movie is his cousin. So now of the unbearable weight of massive talent. So now, because Susie suggested we're going to start playing Six Degrees of Finn Wittrock. So, okay. there's our little connection to Nicolas Cage, and to Pedro Pascal, and to a bunch of other people that were in this movie <laughs> as well. So, and then, of course, from that, you could go all those other actors and play as well. So, so that that's a new game that Susie came up with, and we're also sort of stealing it from Jen in a way, since she also plays it. And then, of course, stealing it famously from Kevin Bacon, <laughs> <Of course. laughs>
2: or from whoever created it, because he didn't create that, but, you know. So Jen and I do agree on a handful of things, I know that, but that is one thing that she and I very much disagree on. I just have an inexplicable dislike Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage movies and I don't know what it is there's some but I love Pedro Pascal so now I'm really torn about this movie I'm like do I do I sacrifice like seeing a movie with him in it because he is the main focus of this movie and I know like you said they don't pick poke fun at him specifically it's more about the tropes and stuff But I kind of in a way wish they would well I mean (laughs) It it it
1: does in a way, but it's not in a cruel way. Mm-hmm. It's more like he's able to laugh at himself and some of the. Well, he's got to if he's playing himself, right? Like this... mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and yeah, and when they were when they went about to make this, they you know the director and the writers were like, well, we might not be able to actually get Nicolas Cage because he might be like, I'm not going to play this. <laughs> so they actually had, but this is another tie-in to our unofficial mascot, Christian Effing Bale. They actually were thinking about possibly having Christian Bale play this
2: role oh of Nicholas God. Cage. <laughs> that would have been funny.
1: <laughs> it would have been Nicolas Cage, so Christian Bale would have been playing mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage. So, which I, we want to see him in a comedy, so it would have been funny. So,
2: yes. I mean, I think it, it does add a layer to the funny that he's doing it himself. You know that he can he can laugh at himself that way. It's really good. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so that movie has a connection not only to our unofficial mascot, Christian Bale, in a weird way, sort of, but also to our vice mascot. As we announced a couple weeks ago, Finn Whitrock is our vice unofficial mascot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I don't know what kind of privileges come with that. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, so everybody knows that now. So, this movie has a connection to both of our mascots. So I just find it kind of funny. I was trying to think of a connection it might have to one day at a time, but I
2: can't think of one. I'm sure there is. I'm sure these actors somehow. Within six degrees, get him to Rita Moreno. I'm sure of that. (laughs) Like somehow there's. there's...
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into it, I do have trigger warnings for people watching scrolling the bottom. I know it's a comedy, but I still think this deserves trigger warnings. Just like Ted, Ted Lasso had trigger warnings or will have for our live stream viewers. So I have a trigger warning for homophobia, PTSD, um, and substance abuse. So I Mm -hmm. think those are the big ones to really talk about here. So I know this is one of your favorite shows, Bex. Mm -hmm. So since it's just you and I, and since it's your birthday, you can pick more than one favorite episode. You can pick a couple. But I want to know, I know you love it, so your overall thoughts on the show and everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean overall i i love the sitcom i love that it's sort of coming back a bit um left track or not i do i do think there's sort of being a bit of a resurgence of them uh lately at least in terms of being able to dig into them and analyze them and not just have them be fluff but yeah for episodes i would say I was like, I could go through the episode list and like refresh my memory on like each individual episode, but there's one that always just pops into mind. And that is season one, episode nine, Viva Cuba. And that is the episode where, um, Elena gets the letter where she is going to be admitted into this writing program, but as sort of the diversity pick, and she doesn't want that. Uh, Alex is doing a school report on a country and, He interviews his grandmother about her experiences with Cuba and everything, and this is where we get a lot of um, Lydia's backstory in terms of when she came over and the history related to that. So I actually use that episode in my classes when I'm talking about... um, like the Pedro Pan flights, which were the children who came over from Cuba in the early years of the Cuban revolution. They were actually sent here ahead of their parents uh, and often taken in by like the Catholic church and different like foster homes that were sort of privately uh, connected with family from Cuba. And, And what her experience was doing that, and especially the scene where she talks about having to leave her older sister behind to the point where like she had never even mentioned to her daughter that she had an older sister, right? Like it was so painful for her to recall that memory that she just repressed it completely and and didn't address it. Now it does dig into one of those other um, aspects of <laughs> Latinx culture that many of my students have brought up with me, and that is the lack of communication. Um, that idea of not sharing the trauma and the pain, um, like verbally, and and so there's sort of all these secrets within families, the communication at line is kind of broken up and everything. So I really love that episode for the the history elements, but also sort of the realization that Elena has when um, when she's like, you know what, I am I'm proud to be the diversity pick because you know what, like I want to do it to the point where like it doesn't have to be that, but I've got to start somewhere, right? So there's there's so many layers and elements in that episode. If I had to pick just one, that's the one I pick. Like I said, I the the laugh track made me not w- watch
1: it the first time. And this time, my my overall thoughts were, you know, there's, you know, just beyond even just having more representation, this show is a lot deeper, I think, than people probably realize. There are so many issues brought up in this show. Uh, everything from, you know, Elena coming out, uh, substance abuse, PTSD, especially from um, from war, Um, from serving, um, because both Penelope and her husband both served. And so there's a lot of PTSD for her and a lot of dealing with feeling like it's okay. We're going to talk about mental health here a little bit later, but feeling like it's okay to actually be open about that and to take antidepressants. Um, Because I know that's a big issue. Like her mom is just like, no, you don't do that. We don't do that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And so having to deal with that and having to Except that she even has that, and except that she also gets, you know, anxiety attacks and stuff like that. And so a lot of it was uh, relatable in some ways, and then also just very the acting. All the acting is amazing. All the performances are great, and it's really it's really funny. And there are lots of episodes that make me cry too. Mm-hmm. A lot of crying. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The first episode that made me cry, that was the Kinsiera episode, because when Elena's dad leaves, Mm -hmm. uh, oh my gosh, that was, yeah, and that's actually what Susie's mentioning right now in the comments, when her dad leaves, that was so heartbreaking, but then it was so beautiful to watch all the other family members, and then the not... (laughs) (laughs) know the surrogate family members like
2: schneider and Um, and dr dr berkowitz (laughs) like he just gets over to it all right buddy (laughs) yeah
1: and it's funny when he does that later on when her dad gets remarried he goes on the dance where he's like oh we're not doing that this time (laughs) um but it was so sweet and heartwarming and really sad and heartbreaking to me that he when he left like that Mm -hmm. but i loved that she had that support system Yeah, like Susie said, the Keen's episode is my favorite. I loved seeing Elena being able to break conventional traditions and being able to wear a suit and her dancing with her mom and family was so touching. Yes, and then having her grandmother be the one who made that suit for Mm -hmm. her. When her grandmother, the whole from the first episode, her big thing is you're going to wear a dress. You're going to, you know, you're going to do what we want you to do. You, You know, you need to look more like a lady. Yeah, it's tradition and you need to do this. And then for her to do that was really beautiful. And watching her, watching how honest um, it was with her mom coming to terms with this too. Yes. Where her mom, who seemed like she'd be the more open and she would be okay and accepting right away, it's harder for her.
2: And that was amazing. When Lydia's coming to terms with it, she's like, well, you know, who am I to get in the way of God? (laughs) Like, who do I think I am? I absolutely love that moment. But Elena, in that whole first season, right, that leading up to the quince, she has this whole big issue with the quinceanera and how she doesn't want to do it because it's like property and this and that and like trading me for like two cows or whatever the mom says (laughs) at one point. And I related so hard to that character in that moment because that would have been me, just like absolutely protesting against it. And as a little fun aside, when I got married, that was the one thing I told my dad wasn't gonna happen. Like he was not walking me down the aisle because I was not property being handed from one man to another. And instead my husband and I came in at the same time from opposite sides of the platform and met in the middle as equals and so like that that Elena moment that whole like I'm not doing this because it's some like <laughs> patriarchal bullshit <laughs> was like yeah no same same girl like I totally felt her there yeah I love I, I love the the pageantry behind a quinceanera but I think for me personally that would have been like just one of those places where I dug my heel in if if that were my culture <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, and
1: Elena is a great a great character overall, and I love her best friend. oh my gosh. Carmen, it was Carmen, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um I really like her a lot too. she she she's really sweet and totally herself too. And I appreciated that. And I also, you know, a lot of the episodes that really, really stick with me, a lot of them, are the ones that have to deal with which it's no shocker because of my own personal stuff but with the father stuff Mm. and i also really love the episode it's right after elena finds out that her brother is seeing their dad behind their back and the next episode when you learn all about the birth of elena and it goes back and forth in time between when she was first born and then present and i just thought that was a really really beautiful episode too
2: yeah, yeah that's fantastic the one thing i struggled with is because i did a lot of research on this show and I've, I've watched it at least like four times uh all the way through and i've watched separate episodes but i was for research purposes i swear um <laughs> there's obviously the pilot uh, is a pilot and they they end up changing things and, and switching directions but uh in the pilot episode they do talk about like Something to the effect of having not lived there forever, like when they moved in or whatever. Um, yeah, or like the, that they were living there because the father was gone or something, and then later on it's like they've lived there their whole lives. And I'm like, I will accept your plot hole because I love everything else about this show. But I do have to acknowledge this in my research. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point because that is true. That is true. Yeah, I just kind, I just kind of let myself forget it because I was like, wait,
2: I must have misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did the first time too, absolutely. Like I said, it was only because I was so, going through with such a fine tooth comb that I like was like, wait a minute, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a great episode. I I do, the first season is, is really strong. Um, I do think the the episode where they meet the brother on the boat is also great to show that sibling mm-hmm. dynamic, the son and daughter. That's another thing where my students, uh, I teach a class on Latinas at Baruch College, and a lot of the, the Latinas in my class there will talk about the bias of the mother to the son over the daughter. And so there's a lot of like um, clashes between siblings because of that dynamic, that whole like favoring, oh, you know, daughters have to like be prepping the dinner and doing this and that, but the sons can just like go sit and relax kind of thing. And, and the mom or the sisters will have to do things for them. Uh, that's something I definitely see my students standing up for and like trying to change, but, um, it's, it's a cultural thing and a generational thing that they're, they're trying to break. And Lydia falls to this all the time, right? Cause Papito, Alex, Oh yeah. Her favorite. That's her baby. And yeah it's like and you wonder why she and elena have sort of a, a a tough relationship for some of it and that plays into it i think mm-hmm.
1: yeah no i i definitely agree yes so let's talk about the alvarez family okay uh which is penelope elena and alex are her son and daughter and then of course the grandmother lydia Um, And we do also, we see other members too, but that's the core family that we follow. And they're living together because Penelope um, has left her husband. Although, of course, we learn later they've always been living together. (laughs) Um, But she left her husband because her husband has been dealing with severe substance abuse and PTSD that he's not dealing with. Right. So she left because of a severe episode, which crick trigger warning for suicide as well so he basically said he was going to kill himself and was preparing for that And I think that was kind of the moment and the fact that he wouldn't get help was kind okay. of what kind of drove her out yeah. there that she didn't want to have her kids around that a lot. Okay. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the Alvarez family and do you have a favorite?
2: Yeah so well first of all I want to start out with a, a little disclaimer about this is that I have recently written Uh, a whole academic research article on this Um, it's coming out sometime this year I don't know academic publications are a mess but it's called verify I had to write the title because it's really long verifying Latinx identities complex character representation in the television series one day at a time so this episode is just like right up my alley and I what I did in the article was I actually went through each character and kind of broke down their identity representations and so on so um I do have a favorite it's Elena just because I see myself so much in her I was I was that girl in school like you know going against the grain for the sake of going against the grain <laughs> half the time, um, but really like standing strong in my convictions. So what I look at in this article and what I want to talk about in terms of this family is how, how they help represent Latinidad in a way that breaks stereotypes. Um, so often in television, when we have like a token Latinx character, they are... A maid they are a gang member, they are the spicy Latino lover, right like that they're they're just filling a trope and when you have an entire show with an entire cast of Latinx actors, you can create characters that are much more nuanced and no one has to stand in and represent an entire culture and and that's I think, what I love the most about this show. Now, there are some things lacking. I'll get to that later. But um, for Lydia, it's her status as an immigrant. Now, she's been in the country for decades, but there's still something she's holding on to because she didn't leave her country by choice. And and so that's a, a big thing. One of the early episodes, it's with Carmen before they learn about Carmen's parents everyone's over for I think it's for Penelope's birthday they're like her work office people come over for a birthday and they get into this conversation about like who should be coming into the country and doing it the right way and this and that and Lydia gets on board with that she's like yeah you should do it the right way not recognizing like the privilege that her she as a character has had being a Cuban immigrant who was like forced into exile basically um that it's not always so easy to do things the quote-unquote right way and so I do love this about her is that her character develops over time ironically like she is not a citizen herself um she is there on a green card but um her family thinks she is a citizen. <laughs> And then the voting and, episode. Yes, and the voting episode. Again, yet another lack of communication issue. So she is there to sort of be that representation of the the old culture, the strong, like, you know, we're Cuban, we don't get divorced, we die, you know, like all of those sort of stereotypes, the ropa vieja that she makes and Penelope's like sneaking in the kitchen because it tastes better than the food she's making. <laughs> um, you know, she just just for me like her growth i think lydia's growth in the show is something i i absolutely adore penelope she's everything <laughs> i mean she is she's a single mom she's a nurse she's a veteran she's dealing with mental health issues she takes on so much and just like any actual human does right that's what i think i love about it it's like she's not just oh the single mom, and that's her whole identity. Her identity is made up of all of these little bits. And it comes into conflict with her, the word in Spanish is cubanidad. Uh, it's like her Cuban-ness, I guess, is the the sort of English translation. And And so I see her like struggling with her identity so much in the show, because she she's like well my cuban side says this and my american side says this and i i wrote down i think the quote i want to use is i'm going to save it for the mental health section when we talk about that a little bit later elena my favorite 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 her her struggles she has struggles with her identity in terms of being cuban and being a lesbian right even just coming out in general but then coming out within the culture struggling to decide to tell her grandmother, thinking that's gonna be the hardest decision she has to do, and then having it actually be her father. Uh ironically, the guy who plays her father in the show plays the father in Love Victor. Oh, yeah, he does. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. He is the more accepting parent in Love Victor, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to here. So I, I'm glad to see that he wasn't typecast as the like uh <laughs> the unaccepting Latino parent there. <laughs> I just I, for Elena, too, I think some of the other things she struggles with is being Latina enough. And again, I want to bring in, like, my students always talking about this sort of living in between. Like, well, I don't speak Spanish, so am I really, like, Mexican? Am I really Dominican? Am I really Puerto Rican? And, you know, feeling like when you don't have that language ability that you're not enough. And And having this show say, like, no, you are. You are. You are a Cubana, you you are Cuban American, you may be white passing, you may not have the language, but that doesn't take away from who you are and what your identity is. The the episode that makes me cry every time is, I think it's the season two finale, where Lydia is in a coma, unconscious uh, in the hospital and each family member takes turns talking with her. So we got like our little hospital bottle episode. And when it's elena's turn she talks to her about like so many of the issues that they never get to talk about when lydia is awake and she she says you know i just remember one day you were yelling at me in spanish and i just pretended i didn't understand so i didn't have to deal with it and then like uh, lydia freaks out and it's like oh you know your daughter she can't speak Spanish anymore. She's lost her, cuban- her cubanidad, and she's like, "Yeah, so that's what I did. I just decided I wasn't going to speak Spanish to you, but like, I screwed myself." And so she carries that burden with her, and the- this generational burden that we see from lack of communication. Again, that'll come back with the mental health. Like Lydia doesn't have a diagnosis, but we can gather that she probably has anxiety too. (laughs) Um, And we see that Elena deals with this later on. Maybe that's in season three. I don't know. It all blends. I believe
1: it's in season three. Yeah.
2: And then finally, Alex, for me, you know, Alex is still very light skinned, relatively speaking, uh, which is something I want to get into later. But in his family, he is the one who looks most, Latino, whatever that means. But you know, in terms of skin color and uh white people not knowing what they're talking about. <laughs> and and he gets really defensive in it's in the beginning of season two where his family's like he gets mad because they're being so Cuban, like at his baseball games and like, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a bit exaggerated with the flag and this and that, but also like the little Tupperwares with the the, <laughs> the, the butter containers that's real like that happens but just saying like hey I've had people tell me go back to Mexico and even being told to like uh build the wall and he's like I'm not even Mexican like they don't even know the difference and then the other big thing with him is in season three with the um the the drug use when he is vaping and and Penelope sits him down and is talking to him. And it's like, hey, you know, you have to be extra careful because because you are Latino, because you will be targeted for this. And she tells a story about how that happened to her and a friend of hers. So just the way in which all these characters sort of give us different sides and different aspects of these, um, like what it can be, what it means to be Latino is not one thing, I guess, is, is, is the big thing that I, I take away from watching these characters, that there's not one way. Again, this big asterisk here, because I want to get into something later when we talk about representation in general, but I don't know, that's my quick rundown of the characters and like the things that I really like about the way they're portrayed on the, on the screen.
1: Uh, Well, my overall thoughts on the family is and my favorite is actually Penelope because probably because I relate to her in some respects with the mental health stuff. Uh, But also I just and I also relate to it because I was raised by a single mom and I was raised by a single mom that didn't get a lot of help from her family. Uh, She was kind of ostracized. Uh, in some respects. I'm not saying her, that Penelope's family ostracized her because they didn't at all. I'm just saying that she, you know, she wasn't, you know, she didn't, you know, my mom has three brothers. Um, Sadly, one did pass, but she does have three brothers and they were always sort of the more favored (laughs) in the family. And she was the oldest, but they were still the more favored. So that kind of stuff. And then the struggles of raising kids when you're a single mom and trying to make it and trying to do the right thing and not always knowing if you're doing the right thing. And I think that's a big thing she struggles with is, you know, am I doing, am I parenting okay? Am I raising my kids okay? Am I doing a good job here? You know, am I enough? And especially when they don't have the father there. And I think She struggles with that, with both of her kids in different respects, because I think also because she's raising a son and a daughter, and I don't have kids, so I can't completely speak to that, but I'm sure it's a different feeling when you have a son or a daughter and how you're raising them. And with Elena, of course, her biggest struggle and fear, of course, is dealing with her sexuality and navigating that and hoping she's doing the right thing. And the episode where she finds out that Elena may have had sex for the first time with her um with her significant other because that's how they like to refer to themselves as significant mm-hmm. others when she finds that out and her dealing with that and how do I have this sex talk with my daughter who is a lesbian how do I approach this is there something different that I'm supposed to say is there some different way I'm supposed to Uh, approach that as a you know so I think that's that's a big struggle for her in general when it comes to her daughter is she wants to be accepting but she also worries that maybe the way that she might do it if her daughter was straight needs to be altered because her daughter is a lesbian and I think for the most part you know except for you know that there will be that added fear of Her daughter being judged for that as well and being picked on for that as well. Like, like when her daughter, like when Elena talks about how her and her significant other were followed by those guys off the bus and the guys were like, "When are you going to kiss? You know, being really disgusting and creepy. And so when she finds that out, that, um, that I think you didn't really hear much from her, but you watch her face in that. And I think having to realize that her daughter's going to have to deal with something that she doesn't know a lot about. And then of course, she has her friend who's in her group therapy, who is also gay. And so she talks to her a lot about it, tries to and tries to say, so how should the sex talk be different? What about sexual, uh, sexually transmitted diseases? What about this and that? So you see her struggle with that constantly. And then I think with Alex, I think her biggest struggle there is that I think, you know, she still deals with the fact that, you know, does a boy need his father around all the time? Mm -hmm. He doesn't have his father. And then there's also that thing of I think there are times when she feels and I could be totally wrong about this, but I think there are times she feels almost a kind of a jealousy with Lydia's relationship with Alex. Mm. So it's like there's a closeness there that she doesn't necessarily have with her son. Yeah. Um, and also a closeness with her mom and her son that she didn't always have with her mom. Like they have this unwritten language almost. You know, they're like, they have these little inside, not jokes, but little inside things. Mm-hmm. They both like, like in um the episode when Lydia does have the stroke, when she's in the coma and Alex goes there and does her nails because he knows she'll want to have her nails done because that's so important to her. Mm-hmm. And so they have that kind of hidden little language and how he's just how he tells is it schneider that he tells yeah it's schneider but he's like don't mess up her nails i just heard her nails don't hold her hand and then he oh, oh no it's the doctor the berkowitz, it's, yeah and and then the, and then he holds her hand and messes up the nail polish and he's like oh that was the thing i was told
2: not to, <laughs> to do oh dr berkowitz
1: <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but... Well, I
2: mean, they're fictional characters. We get to interpret them how we want. Yeah, walk, I, right? yeah.
1: <laughs> it was just something I kind of observed was yeah. there, there seemed to be that. And I mean, so I think that might be a little struggle there. And then I love Elena. I love her a lot. I love uh, how... I What I really appreciate about this show is that it didn't drag her coming out of the closet to the last season or something like that. It didn't Mm -hmm. become this thing where um, will she, won't she come out of the closet? Will she, won't she ever be able to have a relationship? It was never really like that. It was, I mean, yes, she's navigating, like she's trying to decide, how do I find out if someone is a lesbian? You know, when she has a crush on, on that one girl that she does find out is a lesbian, but she already has a girlfriend and so there, it, I mean, she is navigating that, but there was never that thing of, I'm going to hide this for
2: long. She does hide it for a few but it's episodes. She's trying to figure it out. It's- Not because she knows and she doesn't want, like you know, it's, yeah, yeah. accidentally comes out first to Alex. Like she doesn't know he's there when she's talking, but the whole broccoli cauliflower <laughs> talk, I was, I was dying there. <laughs> like, wait, what? Alex is just very confused. <laughs> that was good but yeah she does she just like so the first time she comes out to is alex is accidental but he doesn't even blink like it he's just like yeah okay and so i think it it gave her that confidence early on to say like okay Mm -hmm. i am gonna have to like when i'm ready to say something i know that i at least have my brother on my side he's got my back right like he i I just feel like she knew that she had that one person it made it that much easier um you know coming out to lydia i think would have been the most difficult just because of how traditional she is and how like you were talking about the dress and the whole like the quinceanera and all of that like it's got to be done this traditional way and and having lydia be the one to accept it almost most easily after alex is uh it's really heartwarming.
1: <laughs> yeah, because like you said, she she reasoned it out out loud and went, well, I know God doesn't make mistakes. So this is it. And the Pope said this and that. So, yep. So how, who am I to judge? <laughs> and yeah, it, it, was, it was really refreshing to see that in it, that it wasn't something that was dragged out for episode after episode after episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have been unrealistic, I think. In, in some respects, just because of anyone coming out of the closet, not not every single person in their life is going to accept them right away. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been unrealistic to have everybody accept them right away. So I think having like, you know, her dad not accept her right away, which is incredibly painful, I think was realistic in just in the fact that there would be somebody probably, usually, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's all the time, but usually that does happen. Um, but, you know, and her even struggling going, you know, maybe I'm by there was even her wondering that when she you know she dates a boy for a little bit mm-hmm. and then of course when she comes out it's after her mom figures out that she's been
2: watching porn <laughs> and <That was> funny <laughs> she thought it was Alex watching just like it's not just regular porn it's just and I was like it's just threesomes it's okay <laughs> yeah so
1: her dealing with that and struggling with that so I, I like her a lot and then also you know, she's very representative of, I think, you know, the generation after millennials and Alex is too, to, to some respect as well. And I think that might be why maybe Alex was just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause I do think that generation for the most part is a lot more accepting than other generations and a lot more just like, Okay, yeah, you know, a lot more with, you know, with pronouns and everything like that. It it seems to be a more accepting generation. And you can see that she's, um, you know, at the forefront of that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff she does, the activism and all of that as well. And then uh, Lydia, you know, Lydia is, Lydia in some respects, in some ways Reminds me of my grandma because and just because my grandma is, um, you know, she left. This is not at all what Lydia would do because, you know, her husband had died. So she and she still considers herself. I'm always going to be married to him. We're going to meet again. But my grandma is a very fiercely independent person. She lives by herself. My mom moved to a place to a place that's right across from her so she can take care of her because she's in her 90s. But she's so independent. And I think she's so independent because she left a marriage later on in life and then got a job when she had never really had a job before that as far as like while she was married and all this stuff. And so the fierce independence in Lydia. Lydia has this fierce independence. Like, you know, she's had a stroke and all the and the doctors are like you can't dance anymore you can't wear the high heels anymore and she was a dance teacher dance instructor and so for her that's like taking away part of her soul Mm -hmm. and so she's so like she's like oh that's oh it's just a stroke it's just a stroke like she had had a stroke before that stroke and never told anyone she had had a stroke she's just so that's and that's her that's the way to describe Lydia right there
2: I I think that's a great segue because that goes from season two into season three and the opening Mm -hmm. thing of season three you have this funeral um and of course like even though she had woken up at the end of season two you're like like what happened maybe maybe she didn't make it after all and you turn it turns out it's like someone else's funeral but all of that stuff comes back, the whole, like, I had a stroke and I didn't even tell anybody kind of thing. Like, th- there's like this competition. Yeah, with her sister that she's estranged from. Mm-hmm. G- played by G- Gloria, Gloria Stefan, <laughs> mm-hmm. And even Elena in that episode is just like her whole, like, how do I come out to my extended family and how is that going to be accepted? And-, and they seem to get through everything until they get to the end and you've got these, I I'm assuming the rest of the family's from Miami. Maybe that's like the 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 joke there, uh, because One Day at a Time actually takes place in California, mm-hmm. and in Echo Park, where most people associate like Cuban Americans living in Miami and ma- make that connection. I think the extended family is from there because there's also like the jokes about them uh, with Trump and and all of that. <laughs> Uh,
1: Penelope's cousin, who was like her best friend, and they've been estranged because uh, Lydia and her sister aren't talking right now, and they're in competition. And then Penelope and her cousin have been best friends, and they're finally able to be friends again. And then her cousin says, "And I'm so glad that we were able to make America great again." And then you just watch Penelope go, "Okay, well, guess we can't be friends anymore." Uh- <laughs>
2: It. the rest of the stuff we can get over but that one that's where we draw the line
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that was so i i i like lydia a lot you know there are i you know my biggest struggle with her but i i know a, a lot of it is is cultural in the way she was raised but the biggest struggle of course is the mental health Aspect, But I do love when there are times because, you know, she's so gung ho wanting her daughter to get back with her ex-husband and wanting that to happen and wanting her daughter to settle down and wanting her daughter to marry again and wanting all this stuff. But she sticks up for her daughter when it really, really, really matters, like with her ex-husband, when she finds out he's still drinking, you know, with like even with with the mental health, there are moments when she is like this. Great mother who really, really sticks up for her and sticks up for her whole family, you know. And she's funny. She's really funny. And her whole relationship with dr berkowitz cracks me up because he's so madly in love with her (laughs) madly in love with her and she just won't she just doesn't she's like no i am married about it yes well yeah yeah and he knows that but when he starts dating someone and she's (laughs) like so jealous she's like "Uh uh-uh you're not out too, and she like follows them to the opera, and
2: <laughs> I love that too, and the actress who plays the girlfriend uh is she's the grandmother from Jane the virgin,
1: oh she well. is
2: so yeah, um, so like I just like to see her in a very non traditional grandmother role, like she's an older woman, but we just see her all like dolled up and at the opera and everything. And I'm like, yeah, you get it. <laughs>
1: Yeah I, yeah, I mean, it was. It's just watching her there and how. And then I loved the episode when she accidentally took um, the lozenge. I think it was the same no, one. No, that was wasn't the, the same one. No, she it was, was a different one. Oh, a
2: different was, opera visit. Okay.
1: Yeah, because this was the opera where she went with Elena and Elena's significant other, and they went to the opera, and yeah, where she was like had a cough, and so she takes the cough drop and it's um it's a cough drop that has that has marijuana and it. it's and she gets high and then and they get kicked out of the opera and she comes into the apartment licking a cheetos back so
2: yeah that was awesome
1: i thought that
0: was so funny <laughs>
1: i loved that because it was a totally different side of her i mean you know mm-hmm. you don't don't really see much so yeah and and i like alex a lot um he's probably my least favorite of the four
2: to be honest um it's developed i think in the I early think that's season.
1: why he's mm-hmm. my
2: least favorite I think, I think they were going to focus a lot more on him in season four so the episodes that we have in season four um, which were on a different network and then they kind of disappeared, they're not always easy to find. Uh, but I think they're on Paramount Plus for anybody, and they're not. No, I they're just not. Okay, and I, I don't know where they disappeared to, but CBS bought the rights to them at some point. He gets a girlfriend in that season, Nora, and so we start seeing a focus there and sort of him growing up. Whereas, like, in the first couple seasons, his he was definitely a side story like elena was the the like her quinceanera was a pretty big through line in season one he didn't really have as much in that early season um <laughs> yes it runs in the family and elena uh finished the cheetos too just uh when she was That's on the phone true. they all That's, had the Cheetos. <laughs> yes
1: yes yes because Penelope was finished like what was it, like two bags of Cheetos
2: when she was on hold with the VA. I mean, <laughs> you're on hold with those folks for a long time from what I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why he's my least favorite cuz he is the least developed. And I was an I couldn't I wasn't able to watch season 4 because like Beck said you can't find it. <laughs> and the first three seasons are on Netflix because it was a Netflix show at that time. So you can watch them there, but I couldn't watch season four. I couldn't find it. So. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into Schneider, which, I mean, we didn't really mention that this is a remake of a show that was in the seventies, 70s, late seventies. 70s. Um, and you do have one of the women who played one of the daughters. She is in this. She plays. the the therapist in the group therapy Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but schneider was a main character from the original one and he was the handyman and in this one he's also a handyman but he also owns the building he comes from a very very rich family uh he's from canada and he's Uh, undocumented (laughs) yes undocumented canadian (laughs) yes and he pretty much ingratiates himself with the Alvarez family, but he also considers them his family. And he um, is struggling with substance abuse. He's clean and sober. Uh, how many years before? I mean, he does
2: fall off the... Wagon. I think it's eight years. He Because he, he has his chip. Yeah, I couldn't remember what year. Season he wants to put the, his chip in the Alvarez family shrine, and they're like, mm you're not in the family he's like but aren't i (laughs) yeah and and he does um fall off the wagon that was
1: towards the end of season three and he does start drinking again and all of that so what are your overall thoughts on schneider
2: okay i have one word carla i hope you're still here eyebrows He is on my list. I'm compiling a list of top you're ten. You're compiling eyebrows. a list of eyebrows. <laughs> There's only nine on the list right now, but I'm, I'll get there. I'll get the tenth one. Oh, his eyebrows. Yes, and the glasses. I, all right. Okay. So besides him being dreamy, <laughs> he. I think if as as attractive as. <laughs> thank you, Carla. I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> And you know what he hides them behind those glasses in the in the show but um i do like him better with the glasses i'm not gonna lie oh i have a thing for guys and glasses i love guys actually guys with brows and thick black hair and glasses i don't know i, I have a type i'm sorry <laughs> um i'm not sorry that's that's a lie yeah uh, like <laughs> but what i do appreciate about his character so like very attractive. Yes. That's my number one thing. <laughs> number two, he would annoy me a bit. Um, there really is something about a guy with great brows. He would annoy yeah, he the me.
1: Too, so. He would
2: annoy me if I had to like, interact with him. I'd be like, oh, just go home, just go home. <laughs> what I appreciate him. And this is where I'm going to go back to the whole, like laugh track live audience thing is that he is the butt of the jokes. It's just nice for once that the butt of the jokes is the white man, right? And so I've been doing some some research on television shows and sitcoms in particular and Latinx representation sitcoms and one of the chapters that I'm I was reading about they were talking about the removal of the laugh track uh, in particular with Scrubs um, which also has Judy Race, who is no is that Judy Race and that? I never watched scrubs
1: but i think we're gonna probably cover it next year during our sitcom section or comedy section sorry
2: no (laughs) uh, that uh, sounds good (laughs) i'll be i'll be watching that one so so often the laugh track in the live studio audience that is obviously prompted laughter you know they get the little things like laugh now or ha 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 or whatever um they were traditionally used in shows that focus on white protagonists and the laughter was meant to lift up those white characters but mock the minority characters and in this show we see a reversal of that we see that sort of that that trope flipped on its head Um, and yes i I was pretty sure it was judy race because she's in this show as well she's ramona and she plays carla and she plays carla she does (laughs) So using the 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 live studio audience laugh track to make Schneider the butt of the jokes instead of the Alvarez family is is for me like a a cut at that traditional like oh let's make the minority person the butt of the joke and and so that's why I think the laugh track studio audience thing works for me in this show because I you know, I thought about it and it's like, yeah, okay, Norman Lear did the show and he was known for sitcoms with laugh tracks and blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's all there is to it. But when I, when I look at the stuff, I, I'm like, I've got to find something more to it. There's got to be something to dig into. And, and for me, that's it. So when I see Schneider as the funny man, it's, we need to laugh at him. We need to not like, we want to intentionally direct the laughter at him. And, and that's why I think it works now beyond him as a funny character, you know, obviously his, uh, drinking is a a problem for him in season three. And that says a lot about his relationship with his father, which, you know, is something we talked about with Ted Lasso, but that, that sort of father figure and the struggles with it and so on. Um, which the father for that? He's from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? Uh, he's Cameron, uh, I, Cameron, and, and Ferris Bueller.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah yes, that's right.
2: Him. I I thought you meant like he was. I, I this
1: little confession here. I hate Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Fair, i so <laughs> much.
2: But anyway, yes, he is. It's he is a white privilege boy show, like our movie. People love it though, but yeah yeah so i i do like that he has some serious storylines as well but i mostly appreciate that he is where the humor is directed he's also what he's a tool for learning right when he shows up in that viva Cuba episode with the che Guevara t-shirt on and they're like hey let us tell you a little bit about who this guy actually was and what he stood for right you know that serves as a lesson for white viewers as well i think and the gentrification when, when his
1: father comes and his father wants to wants him to sell everything and turn him into condos and sell everything and, and, and that and then him that leads to him standing up to his father for like the first time ever is the impression you get. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that as well. But
2: yeah. What yeah.
1: do you think about him? You you, you a Schneider fan? <laughs> I am a Schneider fan. I do love guys in glasses. I, oh, oh man. It, men in glasses. It's it is a weakness for me. I'm not as much I'm on the brow train, but I do love dark hair as everybody knows. So <laughs> and I do, you know, I'm not, I'm always mixed on facial hair, to be honest. But I think he pulls it off so well. Like there's an episode where
2: he shaves his facial hair off, and I'm like, oh, why did you do that? <laughs> Put it back. Put it back. I am not, I'm not team beard in general either, but on him, absolutely. Mm. If, there are some men where it just works better, where it's
1: like, you know, some men that just, I think it's it how just, I their saw this first. If I saw them first with the beard, then they need to That's keep true. it. But no, I like him a lot. I, I, what I appreciate about him is he's open to learning. Like mm-hmm. he's open to listening. And even though there are lots of times where he really makes where he makes mistakes, where he stumbles, where he really shows that he's a white, straight man, he has a lot of those moments, he actually wants to listen and he actually wants to hear and he actually wants to grow. And that's a very rare trait, sadly, for a lot of white people and especially white, straight men. So to see that is very nice. And I think that is a good thing for other white people to see. Um, And so I appreciate that, that he's always willing to learn and grow. And I really want to (laughs) say, I had this weird fear with this show when I first started that him and Penelope were going to somehow end up together. And I wanna say I so appreciate, and I don't know if that had if that happened in season four, I'll be blown away, but okay. Be- but I really appreciate that the show never went there and that he and the only reason I say that is I think it was nice to have them be best friends, and that's really what they end up being as best friends. Mm-hmm. And Penelope needs that, and he needs that. And I love that they have that, and I love that it didn't become a romantic relationship. Because men and women can be friends. And I liked that we got to see that and that it was a healthy relationship. And even though I think he had a couple times early on or at some points where he did make comments about her, like sexually, I think. In the beginning, if I'm remembering, like, I think there was a flashback episode and there might have been something. But for the most part, he was very respectful of her. Mm -hmm. And his love and admiration for this family And I think it's because he had a family where he was not close to anyone in his family. Everyone was very closed off. And his father kept remarrying and remarrying and remarrying. And always, you know, after really, really young women. And his father has no faith in him. And, you know, like his nickname is Golden Child. But that's because he wet his pants or wet the bed all the time or something. Yeah. And so it's like, so that wasn't even a term of endearment. It was an insult. So I think because he never had that and then he sees this family that even though they may fight, they're still really, really close. And he does at first, you know, ingratiate himself like he's always just there. He always just walks into their apartment like really he does not understand. You are not supposed to do that with your tenants. I got you another chair. We don't need another chair. Yeah, for me. <laughs> Give them notice. But eventually they end up loving him, too, and he becomes, like, a member of their family. Mm-hmm. And I love watching, you know, because he's not a good handyman. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. Nope. But I do, I love, <laughs> I love the episode when, you know, Elena gets a job and becomes starts working with him. And she instantly is a better mechanic. I mean, mechanic. That's not the right word. Handy. <laughs> <laughs> than he is. And I just think it's so funny because um, because that also just, you know, kind of just eliminates some stereotypes, although it might play into a certain other stereotype, I will say. But I just loved that they were bonding and they became closer, like almost like brother sister mm-hmm. kind of thing. I liked that a lot. I loved how accepting he was because he was also one of the first people to know that. Elena was a lesbian before even her mom knew too. So um, I loved that. I loved when he finally started to really uh, not just be all about sex because he is kind of a ladies man. Uh, and then when he finally meets someone that he loves and is kind of his equal, I really appreciated that. And I, the scene when like his hot tub is leaking into the kitchen
2: <laughs>
1: and he's been hiding that he's rich from this woman that he likes yeah. and she's actually rich too. And they both been pretending to be poor so <laughs> and the what kitchen is love? just leaking and they're having this like big romantic moment.
2: And, and the whole family is like, Hey, um, <laughs> your hot tub is leaking into Kitchen. Are you going to do anything about that? Yeah. Um, The actress who plays his girlfriend there is his real life wife, the, ac- oh. the actor's real life wife. So. Oh, really? Um, That's why it kind of like, I think the chemistry works really well between them. Uh, yeah, and- I,
1: didn- I didn't
2: know that. Yeah. Fun yeah, fact. They do. Like they I, I said, I've really- spent a lot of time studying this show.
1: <laughs> well, no, that's, it's good that you're here then. You're- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did not know that. No, no. It's kind of like. <laughs> It's kind of like when we learned on our nine one one episode that how am I forget? Never mind, doesn't matter. But <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt's husband played her character's abusive husband. That was really interesting to learn too. So yeah, but but I love Schneider. I think I think he's sweet. He is handsome and he's a good addition to the show. And I do like I said, I love that he he. Uh, is willing to listen Mm and I
2: think
1: that's that's so important
0: yeah this episode is supported by fx's clipped the scandalous story of the 2014 clippers owners racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world the series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league starring lawrence fishburne jackie weaver cleopatra coleman and ed o'neill fx's clipped streaming june 4th only on hulu
1: okay so let's talk about the handling of mental health like i said this does deal you know with ptsd um anxiety attacks um like i mentioned a while ago with a quick trigger warning there for the fact that her husband ex-husband was very suicidal and that's Part of the reason. I'm not saying she left him because he was suicidal. I want to stress that that's not why she left him. It's because he wasn't dealing with that, and he was an alcoholic and, and abusing it wasn't substances for her
2: children. And that's
1: what yeah, she mm-hmm. about. yeah, yeah. So I, I want to stress that though. I want to make it clear because I think that would sound kind of weird if I was saying he was suicidal. So she's like bye bye. Yeah. Uh, so that's not at all what happened. Uh Penelope does have PTSD. Um, she is struggling with depression and she's taking an antidepressant. Um, she is in group therapy. Her mom, Lydia, is very, very opposed to this. Uh, and you see this very, very early on, first season, first. I think it's the first episode even when she first starts mm-hmm. taking her antidepressant. So how do you think they handled uh, mental health and the discussion of mental health in this?
2: I mean, I I look at it mostly through how they, and again, not being Latina myself, but studying it and speaking with many of my students, this is sort of the the perspective that I hear a lot or that I've read. Um, and so those who do have uh, identities in that community want to contribute to this, I definitely encourage that. Um, I think they do a pretty decent job in terms of the intersections of the mental health and the the cubanidad, the, the latinidad, uh, the Latiness of the the show. There's a lot of conflict in these characters about their culture, their community, etc., and dealing with mental health, right? You said in that first episode is like when Snyder's like, oh, I found these in the trash and they were her antidepressant pills, and she just tossed them right out again. And she's like, no, I'm not not gonna take them. Um it's that very first episode where she's like like she she's a nurse she knows what she should do there's the, that nurse side of her knows, and she knows exactly what she'd tell her patients to do and she says you know like she knows she needs therapy she knows she needs you know um antidepressants but this is one of my favorite lines is she says but as a cuban i'll suffer in silence and Dr. Berkowitz comes back with like a silent Cuban. I'd love to meet one of those. <laughs> and it's like knowing that a Cuban woman wrote this episode makes that joke work for me. But um, it it really talks about her struggle in that section of going like, I've was raised my whole life to say like, we just tough it out. So for me to take antidepressants is a sign of weakness, which obviously we know is not. And she comes to learn this and decides that it is what she needs more than anything. Um, and the therapy sessions, uh, I think having her attend group therapy at first, right. That's a really interesting dynamic as well. She lies to her family and tells them she's going on a date Mm -hmm. instead of saying that she's going to group therapy right like that's how much of a stigma exists around mental health and mental health support in in her family um and and that's another line that comes up later when she goes to therapy with her friend Jill the the car saleswoman um I love her I sorry I just love her <laughs> no she's fantastic she's a great character I wish I wish they developed her a little bit more but you know, you only have so much time, um, and and when she's explaining that she lied to her family about the whole thing, um, she says, you know, I'm Cuban. We don't really do therapy, and and again, this is all this stuff that's been ingrained in her, specifically from her mother. And we see that when she gets home, and and it comes out that she's been in therapy, Lydia like freaks out, and she's like, "Therapy is for the locals, the crazy people, right?" And and so it just further, like, reinforces this negative stigma of, of someone who can't just tough it out, which is never a good solution, right? Because when you try and tough it out, you're bottling it up and bottling it up for so long that it is going to reach a boiling point. Uh, That's mixed metaphors there, but (laughs) you know what I'm trying to say. Um, That I think they deal really well with that. And and in particular, I think it was season three where Elena is dealing with her own anxiety and she doesn't know how to say anything about it because Penelope has never talked to her or to Alex about her own mental health struggles. Just as though Lydia, just as Lydia didn't even recognize her own or have anyone to point it out to her, Penelope thinks she has to take it all on and that she has to take care of her mental health in secret and and not let her kids see her as weak. And it keeps coming back to this weakness, which is not like getting help for your mental health is really the strongest thing you can do. It's going to be one of the most difficult things. And, and so I do appreciate that that episode had her come out and tell her children, like, yeah, I do. I struggle with this and this is real. and, it's okay if you're struggling with it. Talk to me about it. We will get you the help that you need. And and, and I think seeing that represented in the show is huge for, uh, for Latinx audiences in particular. So that's, I'm sorry, that's a lot, but there you go. <laughs>
1: No, no, I think, no, it's fine. Cause I, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I always have a lot of thoughts on this and the way it's portrayed in media. I think it's appropriate that we talked about Ted Lasso and one day at a time the same week, because they both deal heavily with mental health and especially with anxiety attacks and stuff like that. Um, and you will have heard my thoughts on Ted Lasso and how I think, they did anxiety attacks better than I think I've ever seen personally on any show ever. As someone who has had anxiety attacks, so um, a shout out again to that. And I love the way this show handles this because I, you know, there is, there is a big, big, big stigma to all of this throughout the country, throughout the world. People do not like to talk about this stuff, and. As with any illness, if you had any illness and you have to treat it, um, it's something that you shouldn't feel shame about, but it's very understandable why you feel that shame. It took me a long time to feel okay with telling people. And I still feel, I am so nervous that I have said publicly on this podcast over and over again, my own mental health struggles because of the fact that anybody anywhere in the world can listen to this and know without knowing me, without meeting me. And that's a very vulnerable and scary and terrifying thing. And it's very hard sometimes to not want to go back and edit everything and edit out every time I've said that. So the episode where Penelope, she started dating someone and she really likes him and she happens to get a reminder on her phone that it's time to take her medicine and she kind of plays it off as, oh, this is a reminder for my mom. My mom has to take her medicine. She's following mom. Remember, you have to take your medicine. You have to take your medicine because she doesn't want to admit it. Plus, she's supposed to be meeting his parents around the same time too. So she's got anxiety over that. And so because she's so afraid of telling him about her mental health struggles, she stops taking her antidepressants, which everybody out there, please know, never, ever just quit taking Your medicine, if you're on that, not only because of mental health aspects, but physical aspects. Trust me, you want to talk to them first. So I just want to put that out there as a disclaimer here is that you want to make sure to do that. But she stops and instantly goes into a deep and goes into a depression. And what I appreciated was the way they showed that of how they showed her in bed. And not wanting to get up. And this is a person that you see works harder than anybody else on the show. Constantly going to work. Always on time. Always ahead of schedule. And she doesn't want to get out of bed. And, you know, there is that funny little when her mom comes in with Vapo Rub and is like, this will cure whatever is alien right now. You'll be fine. Just rub this. And, and I think this is also an episode where you finally sort of see um, Lydia being a little bit more open yeah. and supportive of her daughter. And I also really appreciated that as well. But watching that episode and was so relatable in the struggle of every time you tell someone And you come out with that, that you have a mental illness. It's like the first time it's as hard as the first time, because you don't know, because you do have people that will leave you. They will just instantly turn away, you know, they'll be, or they'll be like, whatever. Why don't you take, uh, why don't you do more yoga? Why don't you do more breathing? And I'm not saying that stuff isn't helpful, but it's, Really patronizing when you say that to people. Why don't you take a long walk? Or you know this will pass. I get that all the time. You know this will pass when you get into those deep depressions. And what people don't realize is it's this chemical thing. So, yes, logically I know it will pass because it's passed before. But that doesn't make when you're drowning in it and feeling like it's never going to pass any better. Hearing, you know this will pass.
2: (laughs) No, absolutely.
1: So I loved how they – portrayed that I thought that was really right on and very accurate and the episode when she is having a panic attack and dealing with her anxiety and then you see that Elena is having has had one and you and then I love love the episode so much when Alex is comforting his sister when she has a panic attack, I thought that was so because they fight a lot, but their relationship is so beautiful to me. And that was just like, oh, that was just, ooh, that was really beautiful to see because that I think is even rarer when, and I maybe it's a new generation thing too, because seeing a teenager and comforting his sibling and Letting her know what to do and getting her through that panic attack was amazing. And I love that that was recognized and that um, his mom acknowledged that and stuff. So I think overall, they deal with it really well. I think with the substance abuse, um, for the most part, they deal with that really well. I do think there are moments, and I think this is because it's it's a sitcom,
0: <laughs> and right. sitcoms
1: tend to have that, this is the learning moment, and I think very much <laughs> when uh, Schneider fell off the wagon, that episode had quite a few moments where it felt very... Um, not after school special, but very much like this is the learning moment and this is when I'm going to have this very learning moment type talk with you. And Penelope tends to sometimes have those talks a lot. and But I forgive it because this is it's it's the way a sitcom. But I will say compared to a lot of other shows, they handle this a lot better than other ones do.
2: I think especially when I think back to the sitcoms that I grew up with, right? The TGI oh, yeah. type stuff. Like it just, everything was magically better within each episode. And I and mean, to be fair, we didn't watch things the way we watch now. So I don't remember how much of like a through line there was on those seasons, but I do, I, I do really appreciate the way that even, even sitcoms, like sitcoms can be very well thought out, very well written and, and tell a fantastic and honest story you know even Mm -hmm. if they do have the occasional after school special moments which they definitely do (laughs) here. yeah yeah no
1: I mean I think for the most part I would not say there's anything they do wrong here and you know especially when um when she that episode when she stops taking her medicine and when she has the conversation with the guy she's dating and says look, this is what happened, because she doesn't end up going to the dinner. She blows, ends up yeah, blowing it Max, off.
2: Right? I think that's Max.
1: Yeah, I couldn't remember the name. The, guy. <laughs> the really gorgeous guy that she compares to, like, what A is preacher. it, like, the, no, the even more attractive Bradley Cooper. It stuck
2: out because it was Bradley Cooper. Oh, but- <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. I do remember <laughs> that. She is, you know, um, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen season four, but if you can find it. I haven't. She is continues to date him in season four but what I really like is that or she goes back to dating him in season four or whatever it is um what I really like in that is that they definitely talk about the idea that like she doesn't want to get married she she wants to have a relationship she well she doesn't she doesn't want kids kids. and she needs him to be okay with that and and or else it doesn't work and and that's something she's not willing to compromise on and she doesn't and i appreciate that but it's also like they have this whole thing in the it's actually the series finale where there's like this fancy thing set up on the roof and everybody goes out to the roof to like look at the i don't know the full moon or the eclipse or something they're going up there and they go up at a time as couples and she goes up there with him and she thinks he's set up this whole thing to propose to her and she's like freaks out she's like no no, my answer is no, I won't <laughs> because she's not there, and I mm-hmm. appreciate that they don't rush it, like you said. the idea that like, oh, maybe you thought they'd put her with Schneider, and that didn't really work for you it doesn't work for me either. um, but also just the idea that like she had to be married to a man at the end or engaged to a man at the end, like no she she doesn't because that's you know that much more realistic,
1: yeah, and he was. He was. I was really sad when they broke up. So I'm happy to hear that because I loved them together. I thought that was a very good relationship for her, mm-hmm. Um, and he was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> That's <laughs> the point. Every, every guy she dated, or I mean, and her ex husband too. Every every guy, pretty much in this, is absolutely gorgeous. So mm-hmm. hey, lots of lots of eye candy, uh, <laughs> which is always nice. But no, I thought they handled it really well. And like I said, I love that when she does tell him and is honest with him. And when he says to her, I don't remember the exact line, but it's like the perfect thing to say when he basically says, okay, so what's the flaw you're going to tell me you have? Or something like that. Because she's like, well, there's this one, you know, flaw. or so, I don't remember how she words it. And he's like, well, what is it you're going to tell me that you have? And. It's the, I mean, I know it sounds cheesy or whatever, but I think that's the perfect thing to say when someone has basically just told you the thing they're the most afraid of telling you because they think mm-hmm. you're going to leave and then have that response of, well, that's not a flaw
2: Yeah, is
1: like the perfect response. And that's another reason why I loved that guy. I just loved that
2: guy. Yeah. <laughs> he was so amazing. <laughs> we it, like Max. We definitely are team Max. <laughs>
1: I think he was my favorite male character. I liked him even more than Schneider. So yeah, I was very heartbroken when they.
2: <laughs> I was he, like, he, "Why do you want to kids? You know, what? it was like it was a justifiable breakup. It, oh, was, it was, and and I really appreciated that they did it. And honestly, even the way they brought them back together and the status of their like relationship or whatever you want to call it, it worked well with the storyline. I thought in season four.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, maybe someday I'll be able to watch it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was really we'll find it out there (laughs) yeah that was really frustrating uh okay well the last thing i want to talk about is representation Mm -hmm. and how well or not the show handles this overall bex
2: okay so i think for the most part this show does a really good job at many intersections of the latinx identity and Fill in the blank, right? We've we've got a first generation Latina immigrant. We have uh, a LGBTQIA plus Latina representation. We have a single parent, a working mother, a veteran who is also a Latina. Like all of this is really well represented. Um, the one thing that it is very much lacking, though, is Afro Latinx representation. That is that that's a big ick for me in this in this show like they start to get there in season four alex's girlfriend is um afro boricua she's a puerto rican african american puerto rican parents Um, and we have ramona played by judy reyes who's her friend at therapy I just think that like because indigenous Latinx and Afro-Latinx representation on television is so rare to begin with, that we really need to take the time to create more well-developed, complex characters that are a part of of these shows. And I think it was like a little too little too late kind of thing. I mean, especially because the show ended with only six episodes in season four. But um, you know, like I said, I I wrote this paper on on this topic, and one of the researchers, her name is Mary Beltran. Uh, I just want to have a quote here. She she explains that quote: the unwritten rules of Hollywood casting generally include the necessity for Latina Latino star hopefuls to have light tan skin and European rather than indigenous features, and this also ties into uh, black representation because many of those actors are and this is often based on the the color of their skin the the pigmentation the the tone the darker they are the more likely they are to play a black character the lighter they are the more likely they are to play a latina character and we are not seeing a ton of both of those identities represented together on television now, and i do think we're we're seeing some changes in that um, you know, you just did the episode on 911, but in 911, Lone Star, you have uh, Gina Torres in there. Who, um, love her. I haven't watched Lone Star, but I I just love Gina Torres in general. <laughs> but her character in that show gets to highlight the fact that she is a Latina and that she is a Black woman, and and you know they use her Spanish and they you know like all of that that comes together, um, Miles Morales as Spider-Man, we have like an afro Spider-Man. That's really cool, but it's not enough. We need more and, and we need more out there. I mean, there are a handful of shows that have a character or a couple of characters or something, but I'd love a whole show on that. That's, that's my, my take on the representation in this show. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I i mean, I don't have much more to add that except for, yes, I agree. I i do think um, on the LGBTQIA plus side, I think it would have been interesting, and I'm totally fine that they didn't do this, but I think it would have been interesting if they had made Elena bi or, um, you know, even, or, or pan even or something. I think that would have been maybe interesting because it looked like they might have been going there when I first started it, but then they didn't. But I'm totally fine that they didn't. I just think that might have been an interesting mm-hmm. thing um, to do.
2: Another so, thing yeah. is with, with that, you know, they give her uh, a non-binary partner. That's true. Uh-huh. Yes, I did appreciate that. But too. if you look at Elena's partners uh, and you look at Penelope's partners, they're white. Like, I mean, I think Elena dates one guy who is like a Colombian American or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they're all very white, light-skinned, fair-skinned uh, Latinos, if they are Latinos at all. And so, like, that would have been a key thing to do, is like, okay, the family is the family, and they're the core family, and great, you can't, you wanted to have, like, Rita Moreno and Justina Machado in there. Great, okay, that's the family. And again, that's what I'm saying, like, in season four, when they brought in Alex's girlfriend, Nora that maybe they were trying to go in that direction but with the show being canceled it it just kind of ended up falling a little bit flat. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean and I I I agree. And I know um and I was trying I should have looked it up beforehand, but I know Rita Moreno I I do want to say there is a lot of criticism rightfully for her recently because and this was right around the time of um in the Heights, when yeah. In the Heights came out. And I, I'll have to
2: find the quote, unless I you know it right it, off the top. Of your head. I have it here. It will just take me a second, because oh, I know exactly She's where speaking. it is in my in my notes. Because I did a podcast episode on Latinas in television, and we focused on One Day at a Time. And I don't know, do I have it? it was have- basically,
1: she was basically saying, well, just wait your turn, and it'll happen, which is like... It
2: is. Moreno's Moreno's take was, can't you just wait a while and leave it alone? There's a lot of people who are Puerto Rican who are also from Guatemala who are also dark and fair. We're all colors in Puerto Rico. This is how it is. It would have been so nice if they hadn't come up with that and just left it alone just for now. Ow, Which
1: is just not okay. (laughs) I don't care how legendary she is because Mm -hmm. she is legendary and she is You know, an amazingly talented
0: individual.
1: Yeah. She's, and, but, but that's just, ow. Yeah. That's not okay. (laughs) Saying wait your, just be patient, wait your turn is such bullshit. Especially when you're saying, you know, at, and that and that was in response to people who were very critical of in the Heights with the casting, right. and not having, uh, you know, just having this, uh, not having a lot of afro latinos in
2: there. Washington Heights is a very Black neighborhood, right? <laughs> like, and there's a lot of Afro-Latinx people who live there: um, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, African Americans, etc. And I do remember reading a, an interview with her a while back where she talked about how when she did West Side Story, they actually put her in brownface. <laughs> and she's like, uh, I'm already Puerto Rican. Like, you don't need to do that. And so like that, if she was aware of that sort of criticism of the industry, and I know that's the reverse, but they're taking away who she is, why wouldn't she? she recognized that other people wanted to be represented the way they are as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was, and she did come out and apologize. And, and I suppose like she's almost 90, but like at the same time, no, it's not not an excuse. It's not excusable. It really isn't. Um, yeah, no, it's not an,
1: and you know, Wait your turn is such a horrible thing to say and to be patient because people have been waiting their turn, quote unquote, waiting their turn and being, quote unquote, being patient mm-hmm. for decades and decades now. And that's such bullshit. It's basically saying, you know what, just, you know, it's basically being, shh, shh be quiet. Don't, you have no reason to complain. Mm-hmm. You know, just, it's really awful and terrible. Oh, because so just the hierarchy
2: that that too yes right like yeah. mm-hmm. okay well the white people got their turn first and then and then and then and like no that's not that's not how this works
1: no every single person de- deserves to see themselves represented as a three-dimensional fully fleshed out character and in all different kinds of characters so mm-hmm. and all different kinds of life circumstances so it's such when you uh, just yeah so i wanted to make sure cuz i was like I have to make sure we mention that because it's important when it comes to her because she's such a central part of the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that was – I remember when that that was like, oh, one of those funny. moments. Come and, on. yeah, people like to excuse when people are older and be like, well, they're older. It's I,
2: not I, an excuse anymore. Like, you live no, in a you're world. older. <laughs> you're, you should – no more? But That's what I mean. Yeah. You are in this industry. It's not like – you live off the grid in the middle of nowhere kind you know what i mean like you're exposed to people of all different backgrounds on the regular you're like that alone should be enough the struggles you went through should be enough to say you don't want other people to go through those same struggles in terms of representation not wait your turn
1: you're a human and you're a human being on top of that. So you should just know that I don't, that's just so flippin' annoying and, Mm -hmm. and obnoxious and Hey, I loved in the Heights, but it's, you know, that's the thing I think. And I think people feel like for some reason you can't critique media. And that criticism is not okay at times. But I think that's how media gets better. I think that's how we learn. I will, my favorite show is Spoke. I can critique that left and right. I have issues with it. I have issues with the lack of some representation in that show. I have issues with how white it is. I have issues with how biphobic it is. So even though it's my favorite show, I can, I'm still going to critique it. I love 911, but there's a lot to critique there. There's a lot, you know, I mean, some of my favorite conversations are about Ryan Murphy shows, and there's tons to critique there. There's tons to critique in everything you love. I think if you just sit there and go, well, I love this, so I shouldn't be able to find anything wrong with it or anything to critique with it, I think that's the way you grow as a person and that's how media can change and that's how entertainment can get better is say, look, I loved this. You did a great job here, but we really need to examine this area that really could be better. And I think that's what I want to do. That's what I strive to do with this podcast. That's a big reason with this podcast is to be able to do that and to hear from people that you don't normally like the meme that goes around of the three white men. And this is your typical podcast. (laughs) These three white men and they all look the same. And so trying to break out, I don't know if you've seen that meme. I hate that meme with a burning (laughs) passion, but
2: i hate that but like i get it and and that's what i do appreciate about your your show is that you bring on different voices at different times like i would have loved to have you know megan and susie be here tonight so we could hear different perspectives and also i would have like toned down my notes so (laughs) i wouldn't have gone on so long (laughs) but i just would have loved to hear different perspectives based on their experiences with with the show as well and that that's what i i really like about about your podcast Well, thank you.
1: you. I wasn't searching for it, but thank you.
2: I don't hand them out if I don't mean them.
1: But thank you. I appreciate it. So, yes. So, you know, everybody out there, critique is fine and good and do not feel like you should not be allowed to critique your stuff you love. When you're critiquing it in a way where you're like, I'm just doing this because everybody loves
2: it. So I'm just going to spit on it. That's a totally different thing. That's different. I mean, that's why I I wrote this whole article on how great the representation is in this show, but there is a whole section on where it's lacking in representation because I can't just pretend that doesn't exist. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Okay. Well,
1: happy birthday again, Bex. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me, Bex. So if you want to just say where you and all your podcasts, all of them
2: are be oh gosh. I have three of them that I have to get ready for like release this week, like for some reason they all lined up this week, but it's alright yeah, so first I just wanted to throw, I don't know who has access to it, how accessible it's going to be, but the article that I mentioned that I wrote on this topic uh, will be coming out in something called the Journal of Interdisciplinary Humanities, again not sure how accessible that is, but there you go I also do all the podcasts, apparently. So, yes, I co host a podcast called Big Reputations with my friend Kim. And that you can find us on all the podcast places. You can follow us on Twitter at Big Rep Pod, Instagram, and sometimes TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. I co host a podcast called Latinx Visions, which comes out monthly. Uh, We have a new episode coming out this week, which is an interview that we conducted with someone from the Black Latinas Know Collective, and that can also be found on all the podcast places and on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. And the last podcast that I do is called Coach Beard's Book Club, which I'll probably talk more about in yesterday's episode. (laughs) (laughs) Wednesday's episode. You probably already talked about it a lot. Um, But yes, the third one is called Coach Beard's Book Club, and it's a discussion of the books that appear in the show Ted Lasso. sorry. There's so much I do. No way. I do very little. I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. You just do very lot with one thing, which is probably wiser than very little with like three. Well, I guess.
1: Like I'm recording an episode this that'll be out on Sunday with, with Jen and I think it'll be out on Sunday. And then got an episode with Bed, Wetter Behead with Christian Bale. or well, we played Bed, Bed Wetter or Behead with Christian Bale characters, which was really funny. So that will have already been out. So go check that out. And then go check out soon. I will be on my streaming bubble again with Jen, my podcast brain twin, talking about Psycho Beach Party. So... <laughs> Because Jen is like me. We love these really weird... This will be my first time watching it. I haven't watched it yet as of right this moment. I will have already watched it by the time this drops. So I'm really curious about this one. So, you know, I mean, we did a John Waters episode I did with her. We This will be my third time there. And of course, we did our Finn Went Rock episode. Of course. So, yes. Which, remember, we're playing Six Degrees of Finn now. Thank you, Susie, for coming up with that. We also kind of... Still a little bit, Jen does Six Degrees of Kevin of Kevin Bacon, because that's the original. Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage and her podcast, too. So find an actor and do Six Degrees of them. Not, I mean, <laughs> play Six Degrees, not do Six Degrees of them. Kind um, of oh, <laughs> <'cause, miss> both. Because <laughs> remember, we now have two unofficial mascots. We have our main unofficial mascot, Christian Epping-Bale. And then we have our vice unofficial mascot, <laughs> i'm just saying that like you know if something happens like for some reason we fall out of favor with christian bale that'll never happen christian okay but this is erin and for real well you can follow me all those other places too but you can follow me on twitter at e april beauty the e and the a and the b are capitalized be sure to like the show on facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod on twitter at fandom thing pod no it's in that one on Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok at It's a Phantom.
2: <laughs> it, Carla, she was doing so good too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> vice Scott. I do like that. It almost sounds like something Michael Scott came. I don't know why. <laughs> like an ascot, but it's a vice god. I already said it. Instagram. On TikTok at it's a fandom thing pod. You can go to our beautiful website, it's a fandom com. You can contact us there at our contact us button that does work. We have received some. So if you want to be a potential interview guest, please go on there, reach out that way, or you can email the show at it's a fandom pod at gmail.com. And then next week I'm excited because we will be talking about new girl. And this is my favorite so far. I still haven't watched Happy Endings yet. I have a feeling Happy Endings might end up becoming my favorite one. I could be wrong. I don't know. But I love New Girl so, so much. There are still some issues. (laughs) But I do love it. And I love Schmidt. I adore that character. He would drive me nuts in real life. But I love him, love him, love him. Max Greenfield is amazing in that role. And once again, I love watching a Ryan Murphy Person not being tortured. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Because he tortures Max Greenfield so much. So hardcore and whenever he uses him. So I love that. And I think he's so great. And I like the show a lot. And even though I'm not a Zoe Deschanel fan, I actually kind of like her. So the show. And then we'll be tagging that community. So Carla's going to be back for that one. And that was another first time watch. So many of these are a first time watch for me. And then, of course, we're going to continue... The community and the Schmidt show. Yes, all I'm gonna talk about is Schmidt. <laughs> we're talking about new
2: girl. I'm gonna be so I'll annoying. <laughs> it will be like topic one, Schmidt. Topic two. Yeah. <laughs> tell your at your handle on Twitter. <laughs> that's all we're gonna talk about. In my new girl panel. Um, no, they'll probably no,
1: that's gonna be Susie, Tiff, and Meg for New Girl. And New Girl is gonna be a live stream. So by the time this drops, we will know the date of that. But that will be a live stream, that'll be a ton of fun. Tiff hasn't been on the podcast since January, so I'm very happy to have her back. I love Tiff so much, so it'll be exciting to have her on. She's going to be on also when we do Happy Endings, so it'll be exciting. And just a note to my panelists, if any of them are watching here, I had room just magically open up on How I Met Your Mother. (laughs) um because i hate this show and i think that's why people dropped so we'll see if that happens i have a plan and works if it doesn't happen and, and then i really like community i did have to take a break from community because it was i did have to take a break from it. but i do i do like it so i'm looking forward to that <laughs> one the only one i'm not looking forward to is how i met your mother but <clears> anyway <throat> that's why it might not happen because we're losing all our panelists So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian
0: Hate. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.